Hello and welcome everybody to the world's greatest podcast. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, man. We are back, baby. And both of my Manchester boys, they've seen a lot of goals this weekend, haven't you, lads? Yeah. Over, over the last week or so, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, plenty of goals in the red half of Manchester stand. 12, to be a fact, since we last recorded the podcast. But only four points out of six. Um, beating Southampton 9-0, obviously. Um, everyone's seen that on and drawing with Everton on Saturday night three each do you feel like you should have had all six points this week <laughs> yeah definitely like when you put it that way that we've scored 12 goals across two games and you don't get maximum points it's a bit bit frustrating but I think that over the uh, over those two games you saw the best and uh, and the worst of United this season where you know we are playing undoubtedly the best football since uh, Fergie left uh, by a mile um, you know, free-flowing attacks. I thought against Everton, we played really, really well as well, apart from a mad five minutes after half-time and obviously, a, you know, a big hoof into the box that we just failed to deal with, which obviously led to the third goal as well. But for 85 minutes of that game, Everton didn't get close to us at all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, United know where our problems are, uh, which I suppose yeah. is a good thing, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating because our defence has cost us... Well, I wouldn't say cost us, actually. It's cost us goals, but luckily our attack at times has, uh, has turned it around for us, in, in, particularly in the second half of games and away from home. But, you know, this time we, we scored three goals again uh, and it, obviously it wasn't enough, which, you know, last kick of the game frustrating. But, yeah, I yeah, definitely thought was... that um, if we use on, on worst enemies on Saturday night, if anything, because uh, you watch the game and, like, it was a mad game, really, when you think of the scoreline and Everton came back and even when after the second half and he scored two really quick. I don't even think Everton necessarily played well at all or even pushed. Them. They must have had three shots on target and they all went in. They did, and yeah. United, yeah, yeah. United were first half, United were cruising. Everton, I don't think they got out of their half. Like Richardson was running down the line, no one was giving it him. Yeah. And you know, to that be fair, United just looked, like you said, United looked really good. I mean, Louis scored 12 goals. As, that's, as what, yeah, that's, yeah. that's what I mean. I mean, 85 minutes of the game, we were comfortably the best team. Everton couldn't get close to us in any you know aspect of the game. And we had a mad five minutes after half-time and they scored two in three and a half minutes with the first two shots on target of the game. And they had the third shot on target in the 95th minute or whatever it was. And, and you know, the game finished free free. So United know where our issues are, you know, it very United are definitely progressing, but like I say, we, we know where the problems are. United, you know, Oli needs to be backed in the summer. We need to address, you know, the centre back in particular, defensive midfield. Um, I thought Hamas Rodriguez's goal just scre- screams out why we needed a defensive midfielder because he was just left. I think a proper number six sniffs that out of Fabinho Fernandinho. That just doesn't happen. Uh, I think we've got a big decisions to be made with David De Gea as well at some point, and I don't yeah, think Oli will. Let's get on to that. I was going to ask you, Lou. Um, that's what happened to United ultimately. Uh, he was very good and there's some defensive mistakes, but David De Gea didn't have the best day at the office and he's let him in twice, maybe even three times. I maybe let him off for the second one, but definitely the first and the last one. Um, is that an area of concern for United? Do they need to actually look at Henderson properly now? I suspect he'll play midweek. They should, they should have been looking at him earlier on in the season uh, when, obviously, De Gea had that collision with the post. I thought, Henderson's going to get in here and he's not going to let De Gea back in. But United have they've pussyfooted around it. They should have ripped the plaster off with De Gea and just said, OK, like you've had your best years. 
uh, we're moving in a different direction with potentially England's number one keeper and potentially someone who can eclipse what David Day has done at Man United. So I think, like Stan said before, they're their own worst enemy. They've shot themselves in the foot with this De Gea scenario because now they've got two goalkeepers who both expect to be starting. One's on a, a shed load of money, the other not so much, but what he's going to want to play at some point, Dean Henderson. And I thought that's a shame given the fact that of late, it looks like United have finally stopped dicking about up front and just started Cavani because he's someone to play off and he's obviously someone that makes them play a lot better going forward. So, yeah, bit of a catch-22 for United on that one. Yeah, definitely. I think I think, I think they're actually in a, a trickier situation than maybe what you say because it is tough when you've got two really good keepers because like you've got to leave one on the bench. But I think the least United could do now is a few teams have done it with top keepers, just rest them for like a few games. Well, not so much rest them, but took them out of the team. And remember we did with Joe R, I think I've said on this podcast before, when Joe R came back and he was really good after being dropped, he kind of like hits me in the ass. Maybe I'll do the same for David. Because it same is, as uh, Kepa. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. I think that's probably when I mentioned it. <laughs> but like saying maybe they should do that with Kepa. Um, yeah. But I he's a tough one because David is not, our team's going to buy him if he's going to be on such big wages. Well, that's you want to get rid of him. That's the thing. I mean, I, I don't think. Um, I mean, I don't think he'll be short of suitors, and, and if he wants to be number one, he'll have to take that pay cut. But like I say, United are definitely making progress. But it's clear to see where we need, you know, signings in the summer. Uh, you know, we we are in a transition. We're probably a year ahead of schedule in terms of where we are. We're probably the only being spoke about being in a title race because of the crazy season. Um, there's still clear holes in the squad and I think even the most ardent of rival fan would find it difficult to argue that United aren't making progress um, but yeah we, we, we still have key areas in the squad that need you know recruitment and, and the right recruitment and I've said this to a few Liverpool fans but we are, I don't like drawing similarities with them but I, we do actually remind me of Liverpool in the 17-18 season where they had Salah, Firmino, Mane as a three and they were scoring lots of goals but then they would have issues with Lovren, they would have issues with Carrius. Fabinho wasn't 100% bedded in yet. And you looked at that team and thought they can score goals, but you can get to them defensively, as we saw with the uh, the final against Madrid. And I was obviously laughing at them, but in my heart of hearts, I kind of thought, if they can get that right, they are going to be a, a good side. And obviously, Van Dijk came in in that January, Fabinho bedded in into that DM position, and, and Alisson came in and, that was it really that's all he needed so United aren't as far away uh, at all you know I wouldn't say I think maybe two or three signings and, and in the right area centre back and defence midfield and a big call with Dean Henderson and you could see us be really really strong next season I mean it says a lot that we've scored the most goals in the league uh, even if you you take away penalties, I'd like to add. and um, But we've conceded the top, uh, the most amount of goals out of the top 10 and you're not going to win league titles playing like that. So, like I say, positive is, is it, we know where the issues are. Yeah, and, I'd, yeah. Say, I'd say the difference between United now and Liverpool, the old Liverpool is, that old Liverpool team was nowhere near as good as this United team is now. And they made it to the Champions oh. League final. I, well, because it, they've, Bought two big. They brought a world class keeper and they brought a big centre back. United have already done that. United have spent money. Is it that's um? 
I don't know. Didn't didn't they finish second and get to the Champions League final? Is that not the season City won by a point, or was that not the right the same? No, season? no. We were, oh no, it wasn't. They, they, they finished, they finished, they finished fourth. fourth. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, obviously, we went out of the Champions League and we're doing better in the league. But I think in terms of just looking purely at the squad, I think they were very top heavy. They had a functional midfield, which we have. I think we Ollie's very good. He seems to drop on at choosing the right double pivot. But that defense, I mean, like you said about Everton. First half, they didn't turn us. But if you look at Lindelof and Maguire, I think individually are good defenders. But if you play them together, it's, you know, and you knock it in behind, that, that's it. That's yeah. all you need to do. I thought, yeah. I, thought, I thought Everton just going on to them and they, they, they were buzzing with the result because, and I think most of that would be coming for the fact that, yeah, they took points off United, but they were shocking and they've won points. I think they'd be buzzing if they did that to West Brom because I looked yeah. at, like, look at the first two, like, especially the second goal, the Bruno one. That baffled me. I mean, you've got everyone standing off the best player on the pitch. It's not just the keeping, though. I mean, Bruno's 25 yards out and the entire back line is lined up on the six-yard box marking Cavani. And Tom Davis is just stood there, like, playing with his thumbs. He's shit as well, though. He's shit as well. All six six of the goals were awful from a defensive or a goalkeeping point of view. I mean, obviously, from an attacking point of view, Rodriguez finished brilliant Cavani peeled off but if you're looking at it from a purely defensive there was so many defensive errors in that game which is why there were six goals but like you say Everton you know you're going to celebrate getting a last minute equaliser against anybody like yeah, you say especially sure. when you don't play so well I mean yeah. I remember when United uh, Cook will probably remember got a, a 1-1 at home against Chelsea when Van Persie volleyed one in and I remember Chelsea taking the piss out of United for getting an equaliser but you know last minute equaliser it's, it's part of football you're going to enjoy getting a point when you were fucking 10 seconds away from not getting any. So I don't blame him at all. But uh, yeah, from a United point of view, obviously I'm going to look at it frustrating, but we're making progress and, and you know, we, we just need to address those issues in the summer. We know where we're going wrong. So I suppose that's the silver lining. Very true. And obviously Man United picked up points there. They've solidified themselves in this inverted commas title race. Well, we'll be on that later, whether it is or there is a title race. But a team that we're going to mention here, Arsenal, they're very yo-yo this season. They played Aston Villa at the weekend, who obviously won 1-0 through an early strike through Ollie Watkins. But that result put Villa ninth. And to be fair, Jim, they've got some favourable fixtures here, Aston Villa. They can really climb the table here. They've got to play Brighton, Leeds, Wolves, Newcastle, Chef and Fulham in the next seven games. So how high do you reckon Villa could could climb this table because they're looking pretty good of late. They are picking points against the bigger sides. Yeah. Um, I, I think that the fixtures are quite, I haven't seen you got to the last three. <laughs> Bulls, Brighton, Brighton are playing really well. Um, you'd Wolves, fancy Villa though on, on the yeah, day, you'd fancy them. I, yeah, I think that's where Villa struggle though, isn't it? Like when you, when you think um, they could win, that's what all these teams seem to do is you get a favourable fixture and they don't seem to do it when they're favourites because the dynamic of the game changes. Now you've not got Villa aren't sitting back and countering like they could do against Arsenal. Villa are on the, have to go on the front foot and it's it's on them to get a goal. And they definitely got the creativity there with Grealish. Um, I think Watkins was brilliant on the weekend. Um, I think he's been brilliant all season. He's he's really impressed me. Um, I More on him the, later. Yeah, the game against City, I mean, I mean, you don't get a lot of ball when you play against City and it's really important. Your striker holds up the ball and goes and runs him down gets little cheap free kicks to just slow the game down he needed that all game and he does that every single time I watch him I do really like watching Villa I like watching how they play and yeah a really good result against Arsenal who like you say you can't really predict which Arsenal are going to turn up can you 
no, you can't. And obviously, Stan alluded to addressing problems at the back from Man United. Villa seems to have addressed all their problems this season. They brought in Emi Martinez from Arsenal. They brought in Matty Cash and they brought in Ollie Watkins. Three signings that have solidified the spine of the team almost there, Stan. And they've got two games in hand. They're currently, Villa currently sit on 35 points and they're four points behind Leicester with two games in hand. So they could potentially go sixth with winning these two games at Villa. Yeah, um, I think Villa's interesting, really, because obviously they've not really... I know you mentioned those three signings, but they haven't actually changed that much. And the difference Mm -hmm. between last season and this season is just massive. So I I can't really put my finger on why that is. I think, yeah, obviously the keepers solidified it, but the centre-backs are the same. Midfield's Mm -hmm. pretty much the same. Uh, and you know they've added obviously they've got a new right hand side and Ollie Watkins up front but that doesn't really equal going from staying up on the last game of the season to as you've said potentially being in the top four after 23 games played in the next one so full credit to them they've all you know gone up a level Uh, I don't know why that is Uh, obviously they've had a conversation and and, you know things are just going well for them at the moment Uh, really really well Uh, Everton Similar as well. I didn't realise Everton had played 21 games, but Villa and Everton both on 21 games. If they both win those two games in hand, it'd be difficult because Everton's one of them's against City. But if they were, they would both uh, go above Liverpool, Chelsea and uh, and West Ham as well. So And, and level points with Leicester. So it's yeah. tight, it's tight. And, and you know, the fact that we're even speaking about Villa being amongst the European spots after, you know, 20, 23 games played is just testament to how much they've developed as, a, as an 11 together because... Yeah. It's not that different. No, nah, they're, good, they're good to watch Villa. I know John Terry, Jim, alluded to them as the neutral fans' favourite team this season. And it's hard not to agree with him because they've got such a likeable team. And maybe one of the linchpins of of Stan saying why Villa have took it up a notch is because they actually know what's happening with Jack Grealish now, maybe. Yeah, no, I, I would actually agree with John Terry. I mean, I've not watched the whole deal. Not of- often you can say that, is it, Jim? Not often you can say that. Always, always agree with JT. He's <laughs> a legend. Um, legend. No, but they are. I, I've watched quite a few, but it's surprising, actually. I probably watched, I'd say I've watched more Villa games than any other team other than, obviously, City. Um, and I think when we was talking about the, the difference be, between last season and this season, I mean, Jack Grealish has obviously gone up a massive level. He was obviously very good to watch last season, but now he's one of the league's best players. And Ollie Watkins is... The, the, the effect of Ollie Watkins because last season he was in and out of strikers wasn't he I mean I've not got the stats in front of me but I can't remember any of the strikers even scoring that many goals so, so they had Wes big Wes, fat Wes yeah, they had so many they had Samata didn't they Samata um, yeah 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 yeah. Uh, I can't remember who else. It, it just makes a massive difference when you've got that one striker every week and he's a goal scorer too and he's, he creates goals so he, do, he does it yeah. all did, did, full of attributes risk Took a massive risk bringing him in as well for that price, and it's really good really sign cool. him. So, so fair enough, thirty odd million for a striker from the Championship, top scorer or not, that's a risk, and it's paid off. So fair yeah, play. He, he did that. He was, I think he was like, it took him like just over thirty games in to score his first ten goals in League One, and then the same in Championship, and then it was even less games in the Premier League. He's just he's got better and better, and fifty percent hit rate with him and uh, Ross McCormack. Would you say cut when they did those big <laughs> signings from from the Championship? Jesus, Ross McCormack, what an actual throwback there. If there's if there's any hope for any middle-aged fat bloke to make it in football, Ross McCormack, <laughs> just look at him. Look at him and look at Andy Reid and then say, Timo Mordad, 
that you can make it because it is possible. But yeah, yeah, Ross McCormack, what a shitter of a signing. But Ollie Watkins, what an absolute naughty signing from them. Pace, power, and he can finish. But it'll be interesting to see if his ex-Brentford compatriot Ivan Sony makes the jump next season because he's firing in the championship. But somebody who would have been firing in the championship if Newcastle didn't buy him would have been Callum Wilson, Jim. He is a player that we all have been quite wax lyrical on the pod about. We like him. He's guaranteed 15 goals a season, but is he going to keep Newcastle up? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, simply. Um, he was on a downfall. We spoke about it last few weeks. I think Newcastle have been on our podcast last two weeks now. I mean, next week, I think we should leave more. First time ever. First time. <laughs> I'm sick of him by now. But they got another big win. Um they did. They, they nearly threw it away in, in funny fashion. Um, with John Joe Shelby missing a massive chance, and then James Ward Prowse scoring an amazing free kick. Was it? It was Ward Prowse, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, who else? Who else? Who, oh, right, who, I actually thought he was asking who else. No, no, no. Who, who else <laughs> would it be? <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, they got a massive win, and I think that's how mad the season. You don't really need that much quality, do you, to stay up? <laughs> it sounds like a backhanded compliment but I mean it's a good win Almiron was very good and I'm happy for him as a as a man who watched him as, lo- as well as you two boys at Alana no I like Miggy and everyone will know that everyone on the pod is a fan of Miggy and it looks like he's finally settling into to Newcastle anyway he played a lot in this game it looked like as a number 10 where, watching the highlights I did watch the, the first half uh, on my phone but I didn't realise that he was this central, really, because he usually gets farmed out wide, and that was a lot of the problems that we had with him. Uh, obviously, watching him at Atlanta United, he was playing actively as a number 10, and I do believe that that is where you'll get the best out of uh, Miguel Almiron, in front of goal. Don't just farm him out wide. I have the same opinion with Juan Mata. It's just a weird, Greek, weird gripe I have with putting cams out wide I just don't get it Stan I know you ate that as well yeah it's just to yeah it's obviously just to accommodate them because well football there was a well it, it's like that now where you tend to have a more explosive number 10 or somebody like that like a Bruno Fernandes or well, I, can't, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head and those there was a time when those players like Ozil went on the right at Madrid sometimes David Silva played at the on the right of a 4-4-2 Mata went out there so that, that that kind of happens to to maybe accommodate somebody a little bit, especially for the lesser teams. He might want that third man in the midfield like Villa did last year, just going back to that when Grealish played on on the left a lot of the time. But I think talking about sorry, Newcastle just going back to them and Almiron being at ten, I think we did mention on the on the on the pod, I can't remember how long ago it was, but we mentioned that Newcastle do have quality and pace in those forward areas if they can get those uh, those four firing and we did mention that if he had uh, Sam Maximan uh, Fraser Wilson up front with Armour on behind that is easily good enough to keep you in the yeah. Premier League well Fraser did, didn't even did Fraser not weekend? No, 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 no Joe Willock who just come oh, on yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he actually played so they've got depth there they've got quality and I really really like Sam Maximan he, he kind of reminds me of Nani a little bit where he can be the worst player on the pitch and the best player on the pitch and set two up and fortunately yeah. for Newcastle against Southampton he was uh, on form yeah I like St Maximan and well anyone who likes football will obviously like him because he's what you want direct skillful Gucci as everyone know we say on the on the pod and he is the Gucci kid he was actually uh, told not to wear his Gucci headband when he signed from Newcastle one he sported every week at Nice 
Did you hear what Pommers and Corbyn? Oh God, please no, but tell me. Pommers, so Pommers and said that um, like Joe Willock had a good performance. He was on about Newcastle. He was like, oh, Joe Willock played well, and so did Sam Maximus. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Sam Maximus changed his Twitter I'm name to man. Sam Maximus. And he, oh, tweet, he tweeted Paul Merson saying, um, no, he tweeted, oh, well, well done my brother at Joe Willock for a good game. Me, You and Sam Maximus had good debuts today. <laughs> well, well, he's obviously a fan of Gladiator. The, 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 biggest, the biggest compliment I can uh, give Newcastle is that they uh, finished the game with nine men and, and didn't concede nine. So that was a good lesson for Southampton on how to do that as well. No, it was, and obviously a little bit more on uh, on ASM. Just I think, Jim, for this crop of Newcastle players to go to the next level, to not be relegation fodder, to then transition to mid-table and potentially even European places with some of the players they've got, they need a coach that can coach the rawness out of this players. And and when I say rawness, I mean. Like Stan said, he reminds me of Nani ASM. He can be the worst, yet the best player on the pitch. It's all about decision-making. But if you can get a half-decent coach to get in there and just 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 buff out the little rawness and little jagged edges, then you can get some good players out of Wilson, St. Maximan, Almiron, even Shelby to an extent. If you can get rid of the bollocks with him, you've got a player that can at least pass the ball. Yeah, I mean, if maybe what he proved on the weekend, he was very short centre-back on the weekend. I think Hayden actually started there. And Bruce was mentioned before the game that he might not have enough centre-backs. So if anything, it might have even proved that, oh, fuck it, it's been forced onto us that we're just going to have to outscore Southampton. And it kind of worked. Their the attack kind of showed up. Yeah. So, But then again, you know, Bruce, next game, when he gets his centre-backs fit, he will play how Bruce will play because he's, yeah. he's not always missing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's annoying because they've got key players and, and you know... Quality, the best players are in those forward positions so I don't know why you wouldn't take advantage of that and I think if you did try and at least take advantage of that the fans would give you more time like like yeah. I've said a number of times if you're playing defensively and you're losing you literally have nothing to cling on to to me the like Spurs like both teams yeah. set up yeah. defensively yeah. and the worst area on the pitch for both teams is defence yeah no definitely but worst area on the pitch yesterday at Anfield was definitely in net especially for you red men. City ran out 4-1 winners away at Anfield, although Gundogan tried his best not to, eh, Jim? Well, he's practicing for Super Bowl. They needed a kicker. I liked his tweet afterwards. Made me giggle. Yeah, it wouldn't have been funny if we didn't score the other three, though, would it? I'd like to I'd like to think, even if you'd have lost, he'd have still tweeted it. He probably would have, and he would have pissed me off. Come on, you books. <laughs> um, you know, I actually thought Allison had a good game. He had made two good passes, one to Foden, one to Bernardo. So <laughs> two assists, long, two, two hockey assists, if you were more than um, Stan all season. No, I mean to say I expected it. I expected it in my head, but in my heart, we was never winning at Anfield. I was never confident. I was like Mika Richards. He was trying to get me Richards to to say City had win, but he just couldn't. I don't think anyone connected to City would ever predict a win at Anfield. But the game started out, and for, for a good hour, for a good hour, it was pretty even. And the more City just sat back and didn't really do anything, Liverpool grew into it. So it's kind of worrying. I remember saying to Stan at half time, games between the big six this year have been shit, aren't they? Like he, he was like, it started off awful, didn't it? Like. Liverpool were running forward and breaking and then just stopping and then same with City no one was making no one was brave enough to do anything it was like both teams were scared of losing yeah yeah I mean 
I mean, City were a class apart, which I'm guessing Liverpool fans will find that kind of difficult to take with the last, you know, two or three years with them pretty much being nothing between the sides. But obviously, apart from last season, Liverpool ran away with it. But the closest competitors have been City and they just looked absolutely nowhere near it. I mean, Neville mentioned it early on that normally in the big games at Anfield, Liverpool will give you an onslaught for the first 10, 15, 20 minutes and it's up to the away team just not to concede and then you can start playing. But that, that never happened. The intensity just wasn't there at all, I didn't think. And I, th- and I think City were expecting it. it, was kind of waiting for it and that's why we didn't do anything. That's the only explanation I can give because if you look at past games, City going to Anfield, Liverpool scored very early on in so many of them games. And in fact, the only time they haven't scored early on was the nil-nil. And we should have won that one if Maris didn't sky his penalty. So City were kind of expecting it. And then second half, um, really happy that Pep changed the system and did something. Because that's just exactly what you want to see from your coach. You don't want to see more of the same. And I've criticised Pep a few times for not doing anything. He he stuck Bernardo Silva up front with Foden. It was like a 4-4-2, albeit a very fluid one. And that kind of gives City the omen to go like, yeah, go on, you can go and win this. It's not like he's done some mad tactics. It's just a little simple change and the players have gone, oh shit, we have to do something now. And when Liverpool equalised again, um, the players took it upon themselves to just push it up another level. And I think that's the, the difference in confidence between the two teams. Stan, would you say as well, obviously Pep Guardiola sometimes has been criticised for potentially overthinking some of his lineups. Well, yeah. some and, and sometimes just to to do it to potentially catch another manager out, and like Jim alluded to, they definitely went to a four four two at least without the ball anyway, just so they could defend in two block. Uh, sorry, two box of four. But I, I think th- this game, the headlines have to be they have to be given to the fabulous Phil Foden. Obviously, we're, we're being a bit wax lyrical about him later on when we speak about England, but does he have to start for England? Is it that simple? Where does he play against Scotland? Because Um, for me, he's up there. He's got to be in contention. uh, Yeah, he he definitely starts. If he keeps his form up from now till the end of the season, he's 100% starting for England in our our best team, no doubt about it. I don't think it really matters exactly where he plays because I think he can play in a number of positions. I think he's quite fluid and versatile. But um, yeah, brilliant game by Phil Foden. I I rate him a lot. you know, I was there was times when he was getting three or four minutes at the end of games. And I wanted to see more of him and things like that. And now he's really starting to get that chance this season, and he's showing exactly why I wanted to see more of him. He's stepped up. David Silva's gone. City struggled a little bit with that, but Foden's taken on that mantle, and uh, yeah, Liverpool just couldn't couldn't get close to him. So one man definitely getting close to the um, to the England squad. And England yeah. starting 11 and Jim, maybe somebody, sorry, do you want to say something about Phil? No, I, I, yeah, I was just going to say, and I, I was exactly the same as you, and I agree. And I think a lot of City fans were, they was annoyed when Foden wouldn't play big games or he'd just come off the bench for like a minute or two because we, when he does play, he's always took his chance. He's always had that. I mean, he played a big game at Spurs the, in Pep's um, first title win, hmm. and he scored, he scored the winner there. Um, but this was his coming of age game, and it kind of proves that no matter how much mad stuff Pep does, your City fans look at it pre-game and think, oh, what is he doing? But 99% of the time, he's right, and that's why he's he's so good. Yeah, he, he, He's kind of being proved right with, right with Foden because we've had to wait, but if this is what we get, then it's definitely worth the wait. Um, yeah. Big game at Anfield, Roy Key mentioned it before the game. If you're a big player, you need to step up in these big games. And Phil Foden wasn't scared at all. He was playing out of position. No. And there were some games where it's not like 
I know it's Fabinho and Henson and they're not centre-backs, but they would be the players that would be, pick, would be picking up Phil Foden if he played midfield mm-hmm. anyway. And he was he was skinning him. He was too strong for Henderson for assisting one of his goals. When he done Fabinho bit, in the air, there's a there's a bit on the yeah, and there's a bit he's, he's strong. There's a bit on the wing when Fabinho thinks he can run with him, but he, he's surprisingly quick and he just knocked it around him and Fabinho had to bring him down. I mean, I'm so happy to see him play like that. I think everyone is. I know I seen a lot of even non-Man City fans tweeting yesterday about how 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 good Phil Foden is and how excited they are to watch him in the summer. I know for for a fact we can talk all day about how good Phil Foden is, but I, I do think Stan, we need to talk about how shit Alexander Arnold was because because <laughs> going forward and people people know obviously I prefer Reese James and I would like Reese James to be the fullback for England going forward, but he, going forward. He is amazing, but defending, he leaves a lot to the imagination. I don't think he is as good enough defensively as Wambasaka or Reese James. No, not a chance. Definitely not Wambasaka. Um, yeah, I, 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 it's difficult, really, because, like you said, he is amazing going forward. He's kind of, I wouldn't say reimagined it, but definitely gone back, you know, to the days of Cafu, those flying fullbacks, almost wing backs that, you know, were incredible attackers, almost auxiliary ring, uh, ringers, wingers in a way, <laughs> in, um, in Klopp's system. And I do think Trent's suffering from, um, obviously, Liverpool's injury woes, but we'll, we'll get onto that later, I'm sure. But just individually, I, I, I was having this conversation with a Liverpool fan yesterday. I actually don't think he has any defensive qualities. I don't think he has. I don't understand. He's he, positioning, strength, one v one, aerially. I don't know what he really offers in that position. And I've said for a fair amount of time that I think that Trent Alexander Arnold's position will be in midfield somewhere. And I think that yeah, after he, Klopp goes and this system is finished, and the next manager comes in, he will probably move in. If they play a three in midfield, I think he could slot in perfectly on that right hand side of a three. I it's, can see his, that. it's his positioning for me. That's the worst part of the whole game, and it, and it's it's not just bad. It's it's really bad, and it's so bad to, to the point where other teams are just going to keep focusing on it. United did when they beat him, and City definitely did in the second half, and that's where both games were won. But I think one on one, I actually will kind of disagree. I've I've seen enough of Trent to to see one on one. He's actually not as bad as people think he is when he's in no. position. I saw, I saw, I saw no, that first goal for City the other day. Yeah, yeah obviously he's going to. He's not as like he's not as amazing as Wan Bissaka. Like a mate, or one of the best one on one defenders you've seen. Um, but I mean, he's played at City before, um, and he might leave us signing out of the game. There's a few times when he's in position, he was tackling Sterling. Hmm. But yesterday, I, I, I've always been of the opinion that Trent is England's best right back, quite clearly. But yesterday, it kind of did worry me how. England will be coming up against really good wingers further the further they get into the competition and they are going to target him and that's it's what City did um, he didn't protect Fabinho at all I think I'd, I'd still I'd still take him but I've said a few times I think Cut won't like this but I think if you could choose a pair of full back, right backs for a tournament you there is no one no pair better than Trent and, and Wan-Bissaka for me they both cover everything that you'd want right backs to do uh, and maybe in the games against lesser opposition, you could play Trent. If he had Henderson in that right-hand side of the midfield, who, like I've said, Trent is struggling by that because, like I said, he's an auxiliary winger who pushes up and Henderson covers that space in behind him when they have Van Dijk there. And at the moment, Henderson's not there. They've switched the midfield to one that is less 
practical, should we say, overplays, in my opinion, a lot, which is down to the new toy and Tiago, which they won't want to hear. Uh, and the fullbacks can't get high enough, which affects their attack. They can't get out. They can't press as much. Uh, but I think, yeah, if, he could probably play right back, say, against Scotland in the groups if you had Henderson right-hand side of midfield and Stones and Maguire. I think he, but if we got into the quarterfinal and played France and they stuck Mbappe on the right, on the left wing, then it's got to be Wambasaka. Yeah, I, I, I'm still, I, I'm still starting Trent for England and just hoping Rice covers in there. But yeah. I will say he's a very unique player to the point where he, he should be worried for me because he's so unique that Liverpool have had to build a system around him, like you just said. Then where people will have to cover for him, and that really shouldn't happen to a right back. But he, like we were saying earlier, he's that good going forward that Liverpool have sacrificed some of them players to let Trent go forward. But now England have got Grealish and Foden and Kane and the rest of them, why would you build your attack around a right-back crossing it in to only Harry Kane who can head, unless you start playing Cavalier and he's very good in the air. But he's not going to start doing that, is he? His attack's going to be built on the fluidity of Grealish and Foden and Sterling and Rashford and Kane finishing him off. So is there even a place for Trent? Like, if you've got that many attacks in that team, why not just put one Saka right-back? He doesn't even need to get forward. He doesn't need to cross it in. No, oh, I think yeah. Or just play someone who's better than him. Reese James? <laughs> well it's Reece James is in that difficult area where he's not better than him going forward and he's not better than Wan-Bissaka defensively so he's kind of a mixture of both but he's not better than either if you get what I mean so I think if if I think Reece James has got his flaws defensively if, yeah he has uh, that's what I mean but, I, think, I, mean, I, think, I think he does but no no more so well nowhere near as many as Alexander-Arnold maybe no, because but, he's not in the, in the spotlight like that but I'd like to see Reece James in the spotlight like Trent has been yeah, I mean, Liverpool have got... Trent's been affected by the system 100% and Liverpool are using the excuses of the centre-backs, which is fine if they want to do that to themselves. But they haven't adapted at all. They haven't adapted the system. They're still trying to play the exact same way uh, with, with the centre-back. Obviously, they lose Henderson or Fabinho uh, or both of them from the midfield. Thiago's come in and they're overplaying. The full-backs can't get high and they're just playing the exact same way. At first, OK, you can say it's brave. They, carry, they don't care. But now... It's just stupid. They've not changed anything. Just yeah. try something different. Drop Thiago. Say to Trent, you're not playing for a few games. We're going to stick Milner at right back and be a little bit more solid and try and build that way. It's just exactly I, the same. I think it? what we'd all agree on is that the, the Euros being postponed from last summer to this summer has probably had the worst effect on Trent because at the point of last summer, he was the best right back in the world and no one could even yeah. come yeah. close to him. And now he's like, He's, well, even he's, South, he's South, been awful Southgate didn't like him then he, Southgate's never really no. he hasn't Trippier he, and Walker wan and Trent haven't been close to the team Reese James has been in, in the starting lineup. I'd say more, more recently than either of them so wan not got a senior England cap yet Yes, that noise means it is time for the bet of the week. Episode 93 of the Cookie Pod. We've been generous. We've given you an alleged 29 to 1 with a certain uh, bet 366. That's what we'll say that it is this week. So, bet of the week is as followed. We've gone for Leicester Liverpool in the early kickoff. Both teams to score result Liverpool. I think they'll get back on the horse. They have only won. In places, beginning with L this season, London and Liverpool. Maybe Leicester. Who knows? 
Second one on the bet of the week, we've got Palace at home to Burnley, followed by Man City to beat Spurs to nil at the Etihad. And then last but by no means least, Brighton, Aston Villa, both teams to score. So just to recap, we've got Liverpool, both teams to score a result away at Leicester, Palace at home to Burnley, City to nil at home to Tottenham, and Brighton, Aston Villa, both teams to score. And Stan, if anyone's got any sense, what can they do with the information that I've just presented to them? Shove it up your hacker, bitch. Yes, yeah, so all this chat about young English players has got us all a bit hot at the cookie pot. It's got us all a bit excited for June to see that first game, Euro 2020 slash 21. We've been, we've loved talking about Foden. We've loved talking about Mount. We've loved talking about Trent, apart from when we've just slagged him off about 10 minutes ago. But, Jim, can England with, win the Euros with this plethora of young talent? Yes, obviously. Obviously, yes, well, yeah, it's, it's the, with the young talent, um, yeah, they can win it. Not sure. Southgate is the man to um, blend all that together because I think I think you need a world class coach, really. But there's not many of them in international football. But I'd say we're definitely up there. Um, Fancy Portugal. A lot of their players are playing really well heading into the summer. Uh, France is still a bit of bubbles. But then, past then, I, I think I'd have England as the third best team in Europe. So, you've got a what chance. What about Belgium, Jim? What about them? No, I have us above Belgium. I think the the time has kind of passed. Obviously, they've still got some really class players, but gee, what's happened to Hazard? I mean, Lukaku is a very good striker. De Bruyne's obviously one of the best midfielders in the world, but I think they've had that golden generation. Um, Vertonghen and Alderweire, they've got pretty old. Mm. Courtois has got a bit older now. He's probably still a really good keeper, but... Yeah, I have England above Belgium this time. I mean, they did us in the World Cup, but I think if we met in the Euros, I'd back the three lines. Yeah, Stan, we obviously mentioned a few players before that Southgate might have on his mind. I'm just going to run a few names by you and you can tell me what you think of these players and whether you think they might be worth taking. So I've got four names for you. I've got Callum Wilson. I've got Ollie Watkins. I've got DCL. And I've got Danny Ings. And you can only you can only take... Let's say you can only take one. I'll be very critical with you there. You can only take one. Easy. Easy. Okay. Yeah. Obviously an easy for these first two questions. Calvert Lewin. ECL. Okay. Tell everyone why. Um, well, I think obviously Apart from his cute touch, form. obviously. <laughs> I think you've got to go off form. I think he's been the best striker out of those four uh, if you're going off, off the whole season. Uh, and I think like Jim said, uh, you know, before with Trent's crossing, I think he brings us something slightly different. Uh, and I actually think should England be pushing for a game, I think he would work the best with Kane out of those four strikers. I think Kane could drop off Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin could go into that target man and and, and Kane could play in those pockets. And I think they would be deadly together. Uh, I, I, for me, yeah, that's a no-brainer. It's Calvert-Lewin and, and Kane on the plane. That rhymes. I know, I know Toffees fans will really like you for that one, Stan. But Jim, sticking with Toffees, Pickford surely can't be the goalkeeper going forward. Uh, no, for me, it'd be Pope. Um, I've remained that for a few seasons now. But saying that, Pope did gift us a goal on the weekend. Um, so he's been making his mistakes too. Um, the other keeper, Henderson, hasn't been getting his chance. 
so I think while I would play Pope, um, I can't see anything other than Pickford playing. I mean, he's done nothing wrong for Southgate yet, and that's how I think he will look at it. Yeah, I mean, me personally, I would like to see a, ref- a refreshment in the net. I would rather it be Henderson or Pope, preferably Pope, because he plays every week. But Stan, for England to go far in this tournament, I personally believe they have to change formation. I don't know about you. From what? What do you think they're going to From, play? So No, so I was just alluding to, we currently play a back five more often than not. It's not really a three, it is a five, with two very defensive sixes in Rice and Henderson or Rice or whoever you play. For me, you have to go to a back four. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think we need to, similar to what we were saying about Newcastle, but on a completely different scale, England's best areas on the pitch are in those attacking positions. So 100%, we need to go to a 4-3-3 slash 4-2-3-1, whichever way you know you want to look at it, um, with one of those three midfielders playing slightly further in front. Uh, and yeah, we need to get... Obviously, we need to think about how well they blend together, but we need to get as many of those you know quality players in the, in the same starting eleven as we can. 100%. And sticking with quality players, Jim, there's a few that are definitely knocking on the door, especially of late. James Madison, Bakayo Saka, Callum Hudson-Odoi, Mason Mount, Foden. Wan-Bissaka's playing well, whether he decides he wants to commit to England or not is a different question. But all the players I've just mentioned then, for me at this moment in time, they're all playing very well and they're giving Southgate the selection headache. Yeah, um, Southgate's spot for choice and uh, that could be the making or breaking of him, I guess. I mean, and then you missed off there's Luke Shaw's played really well left back. He's in Belgium. Yeah. Well, might get rotated now um, between now and the end of the season. He obviously played against Sheffield United, but not the two games previous. So he's got decisions to make at goalkeeper, um, which I think are probably one of his most simpler ones because you look at right back, it could be a toss-up. Left back's probably a toss-up at the minute. Midfield, for me, You've got to go Rice and you've got to go Grealish at least and then Henderson for their leadership. So I think the midfield maybe maybe kind of picks itself at the minute. But then up front, Harry Kane's a world-class player and then he could pick anyone. Sancho could um, do really well from now to the end of the season and give him another um, selection to make because he's got Sancho, he's got Rashford, he's got he's got so many wingers. And like you were talking about before about the strikers, like Watkins is playing really well and Ings is obviously a great striker, but... The way they play, they run into their wings and they're very fluid. England have got to suck too many of them. It's like he's just got to, he's got to make his mind up and yeah, making a break. And I think of Southgate that. Yeah, I think he needs to get the right blend of experience and youth. I think if he takes obviously far too much youth with no real intent to play it, like he might take Saka and he might not play a minute. It'll be very interesting to see what he does with the midfield because at this moment in time, probably still. Harry Kane aside, Grealish is probably England's best player on current on current form. Stop. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, it's hard to assess that because obviously they, they all play in so many different positions. I think Declan Rice has been brilliant all season. Foden's coming in. Obviously, Rashford and Sterling's numbers are, are really good as well. John Stone. So it's, it's difficult to say. Uh, in that sense but I, I do just going back to your formation um, I do worry that he's going to go with that back five with you know Kieran Trippier as one of the wing backs and, and maybe two very pragmatic uh, centre midfielders in the front and then he'll just have three of those you know how, how many players we named 
that can pretty much have, have that free role. But I, I just think, like Jim said, it will be the making or breaking of him. Uh, and I think he needs to have some cojones and grab them and, yeah, go with an attacking side. Even in the bigger games, I think, like Jim said, I think if we played Henderson and Rice in a three or as a two, I think that is good enough defensively with a four behind it. And maybe, like we said before, you put Wan-Bissaka in at, at right back for a bit more defensive solidity. You can play against almost any team in the tournament with that base. And like Jim said, Saka, Rashford, uh, Sancho, uh, Sterling, Foden, choose any of those two on the wings. Grealish as well. You can pretty much play any of them behind the three behind Kane. And like I say, if we're chasing the game, you've got Calvert-Lewin to come off the bench and he scored the most headed goals in the Premier League. So it's a really, really interesting attacking lineup for England. And uh, yeah, I'll be interested in to see what he goes with. Cook, I'm going to turn this England chat on its head and ask you a question here, if you wouldn't mind. No, of course not. Anything for you. Um, and the question will be, do you feel sorry for Gareth Southgate? And I will explain. I mean, he's got so many toss-up 50-50 decisions in so many positions it's almost to me as if he can't win, especially with how we treat England managers in the media and as fans. He will get crucified for a lot of decisions. So can you even get it right? If he does if he doesn't win the tournament, he will get a lot of stick, I think. I feel like he needs he needs to learn from where others have failed. And Sven is one of the linchpins of failure in my lifetime for as an England fan. Sticking with four four two and staying loyal to players playing out of position. I feel like he needs to stop that, mix it up, like we said before, get rid of the back five and stop being overly defensive, learn from your mistakes. And like Stan said, have some balls, make a decision and stick by it. Stop staying loyal to these players that, yeah, they did well for you in the World Cup, but let's be honest, we should have got out of that group and we should have beat near enough every team that we played up until the quarterfinals. But he needs to... Get rid of Trippier. I think he needs to... He's been and gone. He's had his time now. Look at the plethora at right back we've got coming through. We don't need him. If if you're putting him in for dead balls alone, bring James Ward-Prowse. Do that. If you want to... Yeah, you've got Trent as well. You've, you've got options. And the thing is, he just needs to make a decision, stick with it, and just start trying new things when we've got these international games coming up, I believe, this month. It's a bit weird because I remember when Southgate first came in, he was getting pure praise for, uh, you know, not pushing Rooney out the team, but phasing Rooney out the team. Gary Cahill went out of the team. Joe Hart went out of the team. These players that had played for England and, and perhaps not lived up to the potential that were, you know, big players at the time in that England squad. Southgate came in and he gave starts to Trippier, who'd just gone to Spurs. Ashley Young had a good season for United and he went in at left wing back. Um Jesse Lingard, brilliant season for United, Deli Alley, and he played these younger kids off form and not off name. And it seems like he's kind of flipped that. And I think a lot of England fans are very worried that he's going to pick his favourites rather than, you know, the, the favourites as in the teams that made the teams, the players that made up that World Cup 2018 team when there are players like Foden, like Saka, like Grealish that have come in since then. Declan Rice I think will play anyway but that kind of player who's broken through that need their opportunity and it just seems like Southgate's done a complete 180 I don't know what you think about that Jim I, th- I think the worry for me comes from being a pessimist obviously but it's hard not to look at an England team and be a bit worried about what they might do because we've been upset so many times like throughout our lifetime and he's not got that 
that background, that history as a manager, he's, he's a relatively new coach. Um, so we don't quite believe in him as, as much as we would do with, say, a different manager. Like, I know Capella was awful, but he has a he has a good CV and you can kind of trust him more than Southgate if he was to do something like this. But he's got so many options to make. You just worry that he's going to make the wrong ones and get overwhelmed by it all. He, and he needs to find balance. And that's and to be fair to him, that's no easy job because I, my England team changes every week. I couldn't even tell you what the team would start. Whereas usually we'd know, wouldn't we? The best 11 England players. Yeah. No, you I would. Think, yeah, I think I think the only thing that's for definite with this England squad and 11 is that there are going to be four or five really, really quality players that are going to miss out of the court and maybe maybe not really really quality some of them but players that have had a really good season um, I mean I know Chelsea fans will be upset if James missed out James Ward-Prowse might miss out and he's been brilliant for Southampton Ings Ollie Watkins uh, James Madison there's going to be players like that that might miss the cut yeah, you have that attacking then midfielders. I think you've got you can only take so many of them midfielders. You've got Madison, Mount, Grealish, Foden. They can't all play. At most, you get two playing. So that's two missing out already. And for me, all four of them have been brilliant all season. Yeah, yeah, and you've got yeah a lot a lot of quality that might miss out. And I mean that's only a good thing for England. I just hope that. Southgate makes the right decisions with his squad, which would be, which will be a huge decision. There'll be so many, like Jim says, 50-50 calls that he'll have to be brave with. And then in that starting eleven, he's got to be brave. We can't be starting a bat five against Scotland. And last thing on England before we move on to everyone's favourite elevenable is I feel I feel like the versatility we spoke about Southgate being scared by it before. I feel like like you've just said there, it should be his friend. Look at look at what we can do. Even even if you you're looking at your back three, you still want to play that. You're looking at it. Joe Gomez ain't probably ain't going to make it, is he? Let's be honest, he's probably not going to make the Euros. Um, he, no. he may. I, I don't no, know. No, no, not the injury. But you can you can play Rice in there. You can play Tyrone Mings, who I'm not. I'm not that like. I don't not like Tyrone Mings. I think he's yeah. improved a lot, but. I would love to see Walker play centre back. I feel like he, he he's one of England's most experienced heads, and he can obviously play there. The versatility for anyone in that front three you spoke about fluidity. I think that you either stick with your formation and get your balls out with your midfield, Gareth, or you go four two three one, and then you you have that fluidity across the front three. Because easy see Grealish, Rashford, Sancho, Sterling play anywhere across that front three. Yeah. And there's so many match winners in that eleven, so many players that could make the difference with that pass or the shot or whatever. So just make the most of it and get them in that eleven. Okay, guys, welcome back to the new part of the show, elevenable part three. The scores and the doors. You've all been listening. It's one apiece. It couldn't get any tighter, guys. Um, today, we could you could maybe say it's tenable. I mean, I'm going to explain because. I was trying to find a link today and it was pretty hard. But anyway, I learned that Raheem Sterling is the third player behind Sergio Aguero and Lionel Messi to score 100 goals in all competitions under Pep Guardiola. So the 11 I have chosen for you to pick out of, or the 10, because it's pretty obvious Raheem Sterling's going to be in this team, is the 10 of the players that played in Raheem Sterling's first goal for Pep. It was a 3-1 win at home to West Ham at the start of 2016-2017 season. <laughs> first season. Easy. Um, obviously, we've had a lot. We've had, uh, you say easy now, but we've had a nah. lot of players come and go and um, a lot of Pellegrini players were there. So, 
I have got some tiebreakers in case it's five all. Mm, I As explained yeah. in previous weeks, the rules are we get two lives each. I'm hyped um, for this. And I believe it's Cook's turn first, so ten to choose from, assuming that we already know Raheem Sterling is in the eleven. Collar off. Cook, you've gone you've gone brave and you've gone collar off, but you've gone wrong very early on. Ooh. So, so I get my balls out. Guardiola's first season. Guardiola's first season, yeah. 16 um, Oh. I don't know if he was there yet. I think he had a goal disallowed. Was it was it the Etihad? He was at the Etihad. It was free one. John Stones. John Stones have a goal disallowed. I don't know if he did, but he he, he certainly played. He play. I remember John Stones having a goal. It might have been John Stones' debut, that actually. I can't remember, but yeah. John yeah, Stones. This, this was the, off the back of the Euros, I believe. He, um, he famously rang Raheem yeah. Stern and said, don't worry, lad. Was it Hodgson? Yeah, Hodgson. You'll be all right. So, yeah, 1-0 to Stanton Cook. Early doors. You've got to win and you've got to go home. I'm, I'm going to go very safe and say Aguero. You've gone safe. He led the line. One each. I had to. I had to. The fans will hate me for that. It's like taking the low offer on the chase. But right. It's one of them. <laughs> well, I'm going to take a risk just because it'll be funny, I think, if me and Cook are both on one, should it go wrong. I'm going to go. I'm not sure if he was there yet, but I'm going to go with Claudio Bravo. Oh, shit. He wasn't there yet. He uh, famously replaced him after the first season. It was. It wasn't Joe Hart, though. It was Willie. Ka- oh, shit. I shouldn't have said. <laughs> wonder, wonder which one I'm going to go next <laughs> uh, I got scared away just going to have a stab at dark here Willie Caballero no no, we, no I won't go for that we'll rule Willie out put your willies away <laughs> Willie put, put, put your willies away I'm going to go for because let me go to me mind palace Gail Cliche Gail Cliche, yeah. You can't go wrong with two left backs. Right, I so thought, it's either collar of or cliche. <laughs> I have made of a balls up there, guys. We apologies. But <laughs> so so now it is two one to Lou. We've stand picking next and we've got a possible six people to choose from. So number six answers to go. This is always always an issue because obviously City have had so many players and they've had obviously a lot of the big players have been injured a lot of the time as well. Um but I mean, Cook saying Aguero was a risk—you never know with that guy. But I'm going to go with one of his mates. I'm going to go with Fernandinho. Fernandinho, mainstay. So he was the no, two but, each. It was two a each. risk. We carry on. Five to go. Five to go. Ah, interesting. I'm going to go for. I've oh, got please, one. Please it's don't be injured. Please don't, don't be it. injured. You biscuit need fuck. Vincent Company. Oh, it's a risk. It's a risk. Cook, you can't expect him to be fit all the time. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> okay, or any of the time. Fucking Moonhead. <laughs> oh, come on. He's start of the season. He's not ready. <laughs> you can't guess Vinny. If you're worried about injuries, don't guess Company. That's what oh. Cook, you weren't in the squad, so we'll assume he's injured. Fucking hell. Um, should we, should Stan, we keep this is going to win. or do you want to finish it? This is to win, Stan. Oh, get it wrong, you. Um, well, just, just. I'm going to go with another player who Pep signed in his first season oh, that didn't go oh, very well. No. I'm going to go with Nolito. A lot of people forget he was there, but he was. Oh shit! Nolito wins it for stand guys. Nolito was there. Do you know who my next guest was as well? Dimakeles. 
now. Well, uh, well right, this is... I don't know. It was a stab in the dark after coming. He was probably still been there because he's Pellegrini's man. But this is ridiculous from you two guys. How? Because I know we've had a lot of dosses, but none of you have said David Silver or De Bruyne. <laughs> oh, I didn't know De Bruyne was there. I only remember yeah. the good De Bruyne players. was he, a Pelle- Pellegrini sign in. Yeah, he did, didn't yeah. he? Oh, yeah. Um, so, Bells. yeah, we've got, we've got De Bruyne, um, Silver in the middle, Otamendi was at the back with Stones. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, right Fuck back was Zabaleta. Pabzab, yeah. Pabzab. Oh, um, well, I guess. I guess two can't left leave backs. Talk about in- injuries and Cook had one one life left and he joined <laughs> company. <laughs> hey Stan, sometimes in life you got to roll the dice and companies oh, let me down. I understand it. It's fine. Don't worry. Vin- Vincent, take care of your fucking knees, mate. Yeah. Or it. I'll take care of you allegedly. Okay, just as we're winding down, just before we give you all the information where you can find us and where you can listen to our lovely voices, we're just going to put you lads on the spot now and give you a top four prediction. So who's going to finish in the top four this season? I want first to fourth, Stan, go. Right, I'm going to be really boring here and I'm going to say it stays exactly the same as it is right now. Leicester third. Yeah, I think Leicester will stay up there. They've been the dark horses. Nobody's really talking about them. And as James Madison said, you know, that they'll enjoy that. So that's fine. I think I think it'll stay the same. Uh, so, yeah, in, in a season full of changes and mad scores, I think it'll be that. One, two, three, four. City, United, Leicester, Liverpool. All right, Jim, moving on. All right, I'll, just, I'll ride the bus of chaos and say it all changes. Other than oh, City. Nice. City top, second. Oh, wait, actually, no, maybe I'll stay the same. <laughs> yeah, no, United are the second best team, let's face it. City United top two. For now. But this is where things get interesting, guys. Third, Chelsea. Hey. Fourth, on goal difference, West Ham. Liverpool. <laughs> Ooh, They'll stay fourth, I know, but Leicester will bottle it again. Yeah, so they'll be fifth. Is that who Liverpool get fourth yeah. over? On on goal difference. Oh, that would be horrible. That's um, so. Are you expecting a big Liverpool result of the weekend then to push them clear? Are we who saying? are you playing? Leicester. Oh, big six pointer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Liverpool to bounce back because better the week said so. Yeah. Exactly. True. Exactly. And my my prediction just as we finish, I'm going to say City are going to win the title. I'm going to get my balls out. Fuck it. We'll finish second. United is shit. We'll finish above them. Third. You're the most optimistic, Chelsea. <laughs> hey, Jim, if I ain't got optimism, what else have I got? I think he said second at the start of the season as well, you know, and we're 23 games in. Hey, still. watch us. Watch said, us. Watch this space. I said Crucial third. So. is coming. You said third. So I've gone Be City nice, to man. win it, Chelsea to finish second, Man United to finish third, and Liverpool fans... United are finishing above you because you're going to finish fourth. So Imagine that is very optimistic. <laughs> Imagine. But yeah, Liverpool potentially could go down as one of the worst title defences ever. I don't know if they'll quite beat Chelsea finishing 10th uh, the year <laughs> after winning it, but it is silly season. But if you want to find us, 
on any of our social media. It's at Cookie Podcast, followed by the number one on Twitter and Instagram. That's at Cookie Podcast, followed by the number one. If you want to find any more of our podcasts or refer someone else to them, we're now on Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and of course, our host platform, Anchor FM, if you have none of the above. So it's been a good episode of That's The Way The Cookie Crumbles, episode 93. Everybody stay safe. Is it?